Church, would you take a copy of God's Word and open it to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. This morning we're going to be looking in chapters 8, 9, and 10. I won't be reading all those texts, but uh, we will be providing an outline for you. And I want to urge you this morning uh, to bear with me as I try to speak, as was mentioned earlier. I'm having some problems this morning with my voice, but uh, I appreciate you bearing with me. And I want to ask you to be very attentive to this morning's message. We're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning, but I need you to do like the first service did, and that is they were very alert, very focused. One thing that can help you is, of course, taking your copy of God's Word and going along with me as we read, making notes in your Bible in the margin or on a separate sheet of paper. That can be very beneficial to you in retaining the information I'm sharing with you And then when you leave, think about how am I going to apply this in my life? Remember, our mission as a church is to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we ourselves need to be growing as disciples. So I want you to listen carefully, listen attentively as the Lord speaks through his word. Whenever you buy a car, you're given an owner's manual. This book contains all the information you need to keep your car in good working condition. You're instructed to have your car serviced on a regular basis. During these routine service appointments, the oil is changed, the fluids are checked, the tires are rotated and properly inflated, the belts are checked, and any problem that is discovered is corrected. Perhaps you reason that you can save money and time by ignoring the car's service needs. So you continue to drive your car week after week, failing to follow the instructions in the owner's manual. Things may appear to be fine for a while, but it's only a matter of time until you have a breakdown. God has given each of us an owner's manual for our spiritual well-being. This owner's manual is the Bible. The Word of God tells us that we, as believers, need regular appointments with God to maintain good spiritual health. A failure to fellowship with our Maker will result in a spiritual breakdown. The southern kingdom of Judah all knew the tragedy And the trouble that comes into the life of a nation when they ignore their relationship with God. Their disobedience to the Lord had led the nation into a 70 year Babylonian captivity. After their return to the land, they rebuilt the temple, but the walls surrounding Jerusalem were still in ruins. God sent Nehemiah to the city with a vision to rebuild those broken down walls. After overcoming many obstacles, God enabled his people to finish the wall in only 52 days. Once the wall was completed and the people repossessed the land, they realized that the only thing that would keep them close to the Lord was a dynamic relationship. They discovered that it was important to work 
for God, but it was even more important to walk with God. Becoming aware of their own spiritual need, the people rededicated themselves to God. They experienced a spiritual renewal. Like the people in Nineveh's day, like the people in Nehemiah's day, many of us are working for God, but we're not walking with God. We're involved with things of God, but we're not intimately walking with Him. We desperately need a spiritual renewal. Every single one of us in this church this morning, we need to be renewed spiritually. Our church as a whole needs to be spiritually renewed. So I want to show you three things from this passage this morning that reveal how we can have a spiritual renewal in our lives. And I want to ask you, if you would, to write these things down. They are very important. They're simple, but they're profoundly important and beneficial in our lives. First of all, we see if we're going to have a spiritual renewal, we need a communication of God's Word. A spiritual renewal will not occur apart from the Word of God. Because it's the word of God that God has used to reveal who he is to us. And by knowing who he is, we discover who we really are and what we need before him. So there's a communication of God's word to the people. Notice the reading of God's word. We begin to see this in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 8. The people assemble for the reading. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. The people are called to come together. They assemble together for the purpose of hearing the word of God. Now, many of these people had not heard the word of God read in a long time. Some perhaps had never heard the entirety of God's word read. Remember, many of these people have been in captivity for a long time. And even though they had been back in the land for a little while, they still had not heard the word of God read. It is so important that God's people gather together regularly to hear the word of God. That's why we've come here this morning. That's why we meet on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and other occasions, is to present the word of the living God, because it is God's word, when applied, that will transform our lives. And so they're assembling together to read the word of God, but not only assembling for the reading, notice the attention on the reading. We see this in verses 3 and 4. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium 
which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and there's a list of people here. Essentially, you had six on the right of Ezra and seven on the left, standing there as the word was placed on this wooden pulpit and read before the people. And this took quite a while to read the word. But notice verse 3, the key word is, the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is so vitally important. Being attentive, giving your attention to the word of God. Now, listen to me. I have preached the word of God for 35 years. I started when I was five. No, seriously, I have been preaching the Word of God for 35 years, and here's what I've discovered in every congregation. When the Word of God is preached, you have some people who are broken and blessed, and some people who are bored. You have some people that are so stirred and moved by God that they are weeping, while at the same time, in the same service, you'll have some people sleeping. What is the difference? The difference is there are some who are receptive to the Word of God. They are attentive to what God has to say from His Word. And they're experiencing life change. Folks, you do know that you can come into a worship service and sit here through the entirety of the service. You can sing in some of the songs. You can Say a prayer or two, you can give some money, you can sit and listen to a sermon without really engaging with the message, without really experiencing life transformation, because if you're just there bodily, but you're not engaged mentally and spiritually, don't expect a lot of change to occur. I want you to know as your pastor, my desire is to see life transformation. I want to see our congregation grow and mature into strong believers. Now, we're at different levels, of course, uh, due to the fact some have been saved longer and some have been more diligent as disciples of Christ. But we should all seek to grow in our understanding of the Lord and be strong in the faith. And if that's going to happen, you have to give attention to the Word of God. As we go into this new year... I hope that you will make it a priority to be here to hear the word of God proclaimed. We know that uh, just a few years ago, really when I was a kid, uh, if you were regular in church, that meant you were in attendance three times a week. Now, according to Tom Rayner, who was formerly with Lifeway Research, he says that Regular attenders now attend three times a month. I'm asking you this year to prioritize being here, gathering with God's people, studying the Word of God for life change. Coming with a Bible in hand, opening up that Bible, reading through the text with me, making notation in the margin of your Bible on a separate sheet of paper, and then leaving here thinking about how can I apply this in my life This week. Don't just close your Bible and let that be it for the week. God wants to transform us and the word of God is central to that. And then notice appreciation for the reading. Verses 5 and 6. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people 
for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, sometimes when I read a text before I preach, I'll ask the congregation to stand. And you've heard me do this. I'll say, let's stand in reading of the word of God in reverence to his word, his holy, his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. What I want to remind you of when I do that is just as the people here were reminded of it is that this is the word of the living God. This is God's mind given to us. This is his revelation of himself to us. Everything we need to know about our faith in terms of our position doctrinally on issues and our practice, the practice of our faith, we find in the Word of God as the Holy Spirit of God teaches us. That's why it's so crucial, why it's so central to our lives. And so here there's an appreciation. Look at verse 6. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. That is, they affirm what he said, that this was true. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice the connection between the word of God being read and the people worshipping. I submit to you that true biblical worship requires the word of God. The reason I say this is because we don't know the person that we are worshipping apart from the word of God. We don't know of our own condition apart from the word of God. We don't even know how to worship this almighty God apart from his word. As they heard the word of God proclaimed, their response was to humbly bow before him in adoration and thanksgiving and worship and praise. So there's an appreciation for the reading. Then notice application from the reading, verses 7 and 8. These people, some of these men are listed again. The Bible says the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translation or translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Now notice what's happening here. Ezra standing there behind the podium He's reading the law. It takes hours to do this. And the Levites and others are going out among the people. And they're, they're explaining what is being read. And friend, this is a good description of biblical preaching. The word of God has to be proclaimed. And then it needs to be explained so that the average person can understand. Now, it's not that you cannot understand as you grow as a disciple, as you be become mature in your faith, you should be able to understand the scriptures and feed yourself and help others. But it's important that the man of God use the word of God to proclaim that word and then properly interpret it and explain it to the people where they can apply it in their lives. So there's application here. As a matter of fact, we have in our church what is called Sunday school. It's in small groups. People come together and they study the word of God. And then the word of God is, is explained and questions are asked. It's a great opportunity to interact in that small group context. So this is similar to what they did 
uh, here. They, they went out and explained the Word of God in smaller groups and answered questions so that people could have a better understanding in order that they might apply the truths of God's Word. As a matter of fact, if you're not in the Sunday school, I hope that you will commit yourself for this coming year to be a part of our Sunday school ministry. And we want to see more and more people coming to those small groups, being taught the Word of God, and then going out and strategizing as to how they they might reach more people with the gospel message. But here is the communication of God's Word through the reading of His Holy Word. Now, once we see the reading of God's Word, then we see the response to God's Word. Look with me in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 tells us this, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said... Notice what they said here. They said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? I believe they were weeping for a number of reasons. One of which is they had not heard the law being read. And they were just so overwhelmed with thanksgiving. They became very emotional. And friend, listen. There's nothing wrong with becoming emotional about the things of God. Now, emotion alone is not enough. We need to have a good foundation of truth. But we should feel deeply about the things of God. When we begin to think about the goodness of God and He's given His Word to us to change our lives, we should become emotional about those things. And not be so tight and tense and and rigid that we we show no emotion and we we display no emotion about the goodness of God we should become moved and stirred emotionally as a result of it that's exactly what happens here they begin to weep and I think they're weeping also because the word of God reveals their own spiritual need This has been true all my life when I get into the scriptures, begin to read the word of God. I see just who I am and I see how far short I fall many times. In the light of God's holiness and goodness, I see my own personal spiritual need. It's so informative to me. But then their weeping turns to joy. Look at verses 10 and following. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. So their weeping turns to joy. I like this passage. It says, as I just read, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't forget the context of that joy. It comes as a result of of knowing God's revelation and applying it to one's life. So that's the response to God's Word. We talked about the reading of God's Word, the response to God's Word. Now, let's look at the return to God's Word. As they began to read the Scriptures, 
they discovered that there were things that they were not even aware of that they needed to be doing to worship God. For example, verses 13 and 14, there is a discovery of the Feast of Booths. This is also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And it is an opportunity to reflect back on what God had done for his people as he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. As they left Egypt, they were instructed to build little booths or shelters. And it was a place that denoted the provisions of God for his people as they wandered through the wilderness. So as they read, they discovered, wait, we're not observing this festival. God has told us to do this to remember what he's done for us in the past so we'll be thankful. This would be the equivalent of us not being aware of the Lord's Supper. And then someone stands up and begins to read the scripture and we say, well, we didn't know that we were supposed to be observing the Lord's Supper. And we begin to, with great joy and a a sense of worship, begin to observe the Lord's table again in remembrance of the Lord. So there was a discovery of the Feast of Booths. Also, we see in verse 15 instructions about this feast. In verses 16 through 18, then their participation in the feast is mentioned. So there's a return to God's word. What I want you to see, I want you to listen carefully. What I want you to see is that the word of God gives light to us. So we can see who we really are. Many of us may feel very comfortable. And we claim to be believers and we feel very satisfied with where we are spiritually. In some cases, that satisfaction may be the result of an ignorance of God's word. But when the word of God is shown in our lives, it uncovers the very deep portions of our lives, the very recesses of our hearts are revealed. When I was attending Bruton Parker College, I lived on campus during the week. And on weekends, I was, you understand, I was a very intelligent student. I would bring a bag of dirty clothes for my mother to wash for me. And uh, I was a music major. We didn't have a whole lot of time as music majors. I took an over, a, a full load every, more than a full load, the maximum number of hours you could take. I was working at Harvey's in Douglas and also at a church in Baxley. And my mama was always kind to take, help me take care of those things. She'd fix me some good food to eat. And then I would get in the car and I'd head out back to Baxley. And I would stay the night there at my church field, Spring Branch, Baxley, in Baxley, Georgia. And I remember on one occasion I was, I was sleeping and I woke up in the middle of the night and it was a dark night, you know, one of those moonless nights, no light showing everywhere or anywhere. And I, I could not discern where I was. Now, I couldn't go back to sleep because it was really bothering me. I want to know where am I? I mean, that's a good thing to know, right? So I got out of bed and I started feeling around the wall until I found a, a light switch. And when I turned that switch on, all of a sudden, I knew exactly where I was. I knew my location. 
Whenever we are exposed to the Word of God, it's like turning on a light switch. We begin to see some things about us that are not fitting in the presence of God. We begin to see areas that need to be changed. And God does not do this in order to condemn us. He does this in order to correct us as his people. Because he wants us to change. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature in our faith. And we have to cooperate. But the word of God is central to that. What I'm saying to you is that spiritual renewal requires a communication of the word of God. But also, we know that spiritual renewal requires a confession by God's people. A confession by God's people. Look with me now in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Here is a picture of confession. And I want, you to, I want you to look closely at this with me for just a few minutes. In verse 1, they're, they're speaking about fasting in sackcloth with dirt upon themselves. This says that as they, as they gathered together and were exposed to the word of God, their lives began to change and they became grieved over their condition and so in order to express that grief they put on sackcloth which was like a burlap type garment and they put ashes on their head or dust on their heads this was customary in that day to express deep grief Deep grief. Why were, why were they so grieved? They were grieved over their sin. It burdened their hearts. And they were fasting, the Bible says. They were so concerned about this that they did not eat. They prayed and they sat in sackcloth and put dust upon themselves showing their grief. Let me ask you a question. Is this customary in our day? That is, not the sackcloth and ashes, but is it customary for God's people today to be grieved because of our sins? You see, what we try to do is minimize our sin and explain it away. And the truth is, we have to come to grips with our own failure spiritually. Once they had grieved over their sin for a while. The Bible says in verse 2 that they began to confess their present sins as well as their past sins. They went back and confessed the sins of their fathers and and, uh, their grandparents. They were coming clean with God. What is confession? Confession is when we say the same thing that God says about something. They were agreeing with God. And then look at verse 3. They started reading the word of God, confessing and worshiping, the Bible says. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law, the Lord their God, for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Again, the reading of God's word gives way to worshiping God. And then we see in verse 4, they were crying out with a loud voice to God. Why were they crying out? Because they were asking for God to intervene in their lives. To cleanse them. To bring about spiritual renewal. 
This is a picture of confession. This is how we are to live our lives before the Lord as we seek to be holy. We must humble ourselves before Him in prayer, grieving over our sins, confessing them, turning to His Word, worshiping Him, and crying out loudly before Him. This shows their sincerity. That's a picture of confession. Then look with me at the prayer confession. We see this in verses 5 through 37. Now, I asked you early on, I asked you to be very attentive, didn't I? Are you still attentive? Are you listening? Okay. Well, let's look at this really quickly. I'm not going to read through this section of Scripture, but I do want to give you an outline for it. It's the, the prayer of confession that they offered up. In verses 5 and 6, they started talking about creation. How that God created all things. In verses 7 and 8, then they begin to talk about the call of Abraham. How God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. It was a pagan land. God called him and transformed him and promised to give him a great nation. And ultimately, we know that the Messiah would come through this nation. Then verses 9 through 14, they speak about the exodus. How the God's people were placed there in Egypt during the famine. And as time went on, the Pharaoh forgot about Joseph and all that he did for the nation. And they forced the Hebrews into slavery. So they cried out to the Lord and God delivered them through Moses and Aaron. And verses 15 through 23 speak about The wilderness wandering, how they came out and crossed the Red Sea. And because of their disobedience to God, they wandered around in the desert for how many years? Forty years. And then 24, 25 speak about possessing the land, how God kept his promise and brought them over into the promised land. But once again, they rebelled against God. They were disobedient. And verses 26 through 29 speaks about the time of the judges that God would raise up men and women who would stand firm and help the people of God. Verses 30 and 31 talk about the time of the prophets into the period of captivity, that 70-year Babylonian captivity that I spoke of earlier. And in verses 32 through 37 They speak about the present day they're living in. So what I want you to see here, notice the thoroughness with which they confess their sins. And they say, Lord, you have been with us all this time, yet we've been rebellious against you. We've disobeyed you time and time again. You've been long-suffering and loving toward us, God. You know, when we begin to get right with God, you know what we discover? We discover just how patient God has been with us. I tell you, when I think about my life and the many times I've had to go to God over and over again and ask forgiveness, I'm reminded about His patience with me. And it makes me thankful that I serve a God who loves me. Think about the many times that you as a believer, how many times you've sinned against God since you were saved. How many times you've gone to Him and said, Lord, I've blown it again. I'm sorry. I don't want to continue to do this. Lord, please have mercy upon me. And the Lord is always faithful to forgive and restore that fellowship. 
And they are going through this thorough process of, of confessing. They're coming clean before the Lord. You've heard of spring cleaning, right? That's when in the springtime of the year you clean out everything. I know my grandma and grandpa, their old house built back in the late 1800s, they had holes in the corners of the room. I asked my grandma one day, why do you have a hole in the corner of the room, on the floor? She said, honey, that's where we, when we clean the house, that's where we wash the water out that hole. They would take this, these brooms and they would wash the house down and they would then sweep the water out the holes. That's really, that's really spring cleaning, right? I mean, that's going to the max. But isn't that what we need to do with this temple? Don't we need to be clean before God? And folks, this is not just some little lay me down to sleep prayer where we tag on the end to our long list of requests and Lord, if I've done anything wrong, just forgive me. No, these people are being thorough. This is a process that they're going through, getting right with God, getting clean before Him. Friends, listen to me. This is what spiritual renewal looks like. This is it. You cannot have this type of experience with God and walk away the same. It's impossible. Someone has said confession is good for the soul. Friend, not only is it good, but it is essential. We must confess our sins before we can expect to have a spiritual renewal. Now, we've talked about the communication of God's word. But also a confession by God's people. Now I want to talk to you about a covenant by God's people. These people were not just all talk. They were action oriented. They were willing to put their names on the line in a confessional, in a covenant, saying that this is what we intend to do. We intend to obey the Lord. Now notice how this breaks down. Verse 38, we're in chapter 9. We see the preparation for the covenant. They get everything together. Everything in place to make this covenant a reality. Then we see the people of the covenant. You'll see them listed by name in chapter 10 verses 1 through 27. Chapter 10 verse 1 through 27. See all those names listed there? And then notice with me the points of the covenant. We'll pick that up in verse 28 of chapter 10. And here we see that they covenant that they're going to separate themselves from the peoples of the land. You'll see that in the middle part of verse 28. So one point of this covenant was they were going to separate from the ungodly culture. I cannot emphasize this to you enough. How that we as God's people have allowed the culture to have a greater bearing on us than we have had an impact on the culture. In other words, we have become more like the world than we have changed the world. We look more like those who don't even know the Lord than people of the faith as described in the scriptures. The time has come that we must separate ourselves from the culture. Now, let me clarify that statement by saying that we cannot 
completely remove ourselves from the culture. I'm not saying we remove ourselves and live in isolation. I'm saying that we must put up safeguards so that we don't become like the influences that we are experiencing around us. And I like what they said here in verse 30. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. That is, we're we're not going to allow our children to marry the pagans. By the way, if you're single here, just a word to you. Be very careful who you marry. Make sure that they believe the way you believe. Because after, they, after you get married, most likely they're not going to improve when it comes to spiritual things. If, they, if they're not spiritually minded now, don't expect saying I do is going to change their mind. Dear people, we are living in such a deplorable time that we are literally raising our children in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. This country is so far from God. It has literally embraced perverse lifestyles. We live in such an evil society that it's almost an impossibility to keep your little children from being exposed to graphic pornography. You say, well, I'm going I'm to shield my children. You should do that, but I'm just telling you, It's like trying to go swimming without getting wet. We live in that type of a culture. Here these people realized the people around them were not godly people. And they said we are not going to adopt and embrace their pagan practices. We're going to be led by the spirit of God and the word of God. And we must make that same decision. Then notice in verse 31, obedience to God's word. As for the people of the land who bring wares of any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forgo the crops the seventh year and the action of every debt. What they're saying here is that We're going to obey the law that was given to us by Moses. The Mosaic law. We're going to abide by what God has told us to do. Then in verses 32 and 33 we see their financial support for the house of God. In verses 34 through 39 they were speaking about committing themselves to giving tithes and offerings. Now friend, you know you've had a real spiritual renewal when it gets all the way down to your pocketbook. Can I get a witness? You give me your date book and your checkbook and I will tell you where you are spiritually. How you spend your time and how you spend your resources will tell you where you are spiritually. And what they're saying is, Lord, we want to get right with you and and we're going to even get right to the extent that we're going to give the way we ought to give. I'm telling you, these people had a real spiritual awakening. Their spiritual renewal was real. Their lives were changed. I like what is stated in verse 39. 
They said, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Before you buy a new car or a new house, unless you pay with cash, you'll think you're going to get writer's cramp before you finish signing the documents. You know what I'm talking about? Because you have to put your name on the dotted line. You're making a a commitment there. You're, You're coveting, you're promising that you're going to keep that agreement. The time has come for God's people to get serious about living holy lives. We need to renew our covenant with God and live in obedience to Him. Now, I understand that this is not a popular message. But I'm not here to be popular. I've just read for you the scripture this morning. Commented on it. This is the experience of God's people and we are the people of God and we need spiritual renewal. As a matter of fact, if we don't have spiritual renewal, friend, we're not going to make it. We've got to become desperate for the things of God. Far too many of us are content right where we are spiritually. We think, well, I got my fire insurance Living the Christian life is not just about avoiding hell. It's about walking with Christ daily. It's not just about doing some function for God and and working for Him. It's about worshiping Him and walking with Him. Jesus was in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Some of His dearest friends. As was her practice, Mary was at the feet of Jesus worshiping Him. While Martha, which was her practice, was in the kitchen preparing some food. Martha became upset because Mary was not helping her with the work. Jesus told Martha that she was troubled about many things. But that Mary had chosen the most important thing. And that was spending time with him. Jesus was not critical of Martha's work. He just pointed out that working for Jesus is no substitute for walking with Jesus. Many of us have allowed our labor labor for the Lord to substitute our love for Him. Friend, you can be working for the Lord without worshiping Him. Some pastors fall into that trap from time to time. Being busy about doing the work of God, but really not fellowshipping with God the way they should. But when that happens, just like that car I mentioned earlier, when you drive it without changing the oil, at some point it's going to break down. So it is true with us spiritually. If we neglect the things of God, it is only a matter of time until there's a spiritual breakdown. In the words of the old hymn, Lord, revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with the fire from above. This is what the church needs. Spiritual renewal. When we are renewed spiritually, I'm telling you, all the other things will fall into place. Having a vision, having resources, having excitement and passion, all those things are great. 
But apart from a spiritual renewal, it's a waste of time. If you read closely in this passage, you'll see that they, as I mentioned, they signed their name to the covenant. Here's what we do in our day. We stand before a congregation and we'll say, everybody close your eyes and bow your heads. No one looking around. Don't worry, you're not going to be seen by anybody. If you want to follow the Lord, just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking. We won't tell anybody. We'll keep it a secret. Friend, listen. The Lord is not calling you to follow Him in secret. He's calling us to stand up boldly for Him. Walk in spiritual renewal and be new creatures in Christ Jesus. He's saying to us, take up your cross and come with me. Is that what you're willing to do? That's what He's calling us to do. And where he'll take us will be heights that we never imagined. My desire for First Baptist in this coming year will be that God will transform us. Starting with the pastor. And he will change each and every one of us into his image. And that we'll never be the same again. And I'm praying that God will use this year. To be the best year First Baptist has ever experienced. But it will not happen until we have a spiritual renewal. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge that you bring to us through it. Help us to truly experience this change. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to become a follower of Christ, I welcome you to come and And just tell me, Pastor, I want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to join our church or be baptized once you've been saved. However the Lord is speaking to your heart, let's stand and you make that commitment to the Lord this morning. Church, thank you.